This is Coda Radio, episode 246, for February 27th, 2017. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and I do have reason to believe established on the East Coast is our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Oh, so Chris. So it's not fake news. You are indeed there. I am there, but Misa's so sad right now. Uh Uh-oh, what happened, my friend? What happened? Well, we have to talk about Jar Jar. I saw the stories. It's it's truly, truly heartbreaking. Okay, so I I saved it for the show because, you know, I care so much about the day-to-day developments of Jar Jar Binks that I thought I should really save myself for the show. Uh, what happened, Mike? What what happened? It, it, it sounds like well, there may have been a death. I'm not an accident of some kind. Well, let's quote the great man. Misa make a few mistakes. <laughs> oh God! And Misa was banished. I don't believe you. And now Jar Jar Binks is literally a sad clown entertaining refugee children on Naboo. Are you telling me that we are clear and free to navigate? There is no Jar Jar in our path from now on. Is this what you are relaying to me? Oh, that is not what I'm telling you. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. I need. No. Okay. Hold on. My confirmation bias cannot handle this reality that you are about to. I don't want to hear this. You are about to shatter. I don't want to get triggered, Mike. Oh, you're going to get triggered. All everybody mocked him. Sith Lord conspiracy. No. Hisa was a good oh god he 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 just made some mistakes okay like if you don't know what I'm talking about uh, there is apparently a new Star Wars novel coming out and The Verge and Ars Technica uh, got some advanced copies and uh, well the novel reveals Jar Jar's fate and uh, <laughs> he really is a sad clown entertaining refugee children so this is. Uh... This is unbelievable that this character is is even having anything written about it, and that this continues to be a storyline that you, can be talked about. In just, okay, first of all, I think it was an audience member because I'm starting to wonder if there's a Jar Jar conspiracy. All you Jar Jar haters miss the point and the artistry in the character. The point of Jar Jar is that we are all Jar Jar. Mm. I, I see that confidently doing things that are stupid. And then we blame somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's sort of human nature or it may be Jar Jar Binks nature. It's Gungan nature because I remember the race of Jar Jar. That's true. Because I am deep Jar Jar. <laughs> so deep. I, I cannot express to you. It's really good that there was almost a full week lag between when I read the Jar Jar Binks yeah. thing and, and the show. You fired I was, I, I was very sad, actually. Hmm. There was going to be some haterade on Twitter because you know what? You know who didn't become a sad clown? Yoda. Yoda ran like a puss when he was winning. Yeah, I mean, see, the thing about Yoda is he's an old man now, so he's got to know when to cut out. So you can't right, really judge like, him hey. for it. He was like, well, Chuck Deuces, bye. Yeah. You know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, too lazy to actually kill the guy. Like, let me just casually walk away. Jar Jar, day in, day out, entertaining sad refugee children this actually just sounds like an in-universe way to write jar jar out no that's exactly what it is right this is what they're doing this This is is, amazing they're they're ending right but i don't know can all go to hell jar jar binks is a great character and if you look in the mirror use some more jar jar than you think just stroke it a little bit okay all right well i'm glad that we i'm glad we're able to address this important development uh this is definitely that definitely falls under the related technologies (laughs) section of our show (laughs) <laughs> so we've got uh we've got we got some I I I I think I'm having a tizzy right now. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm losing it. We started an hour later this week and now I'm all thrown off. But we have some, an hour later, sad jar jar. I mean yeah. everything's just gone to sh- 
is what I get for not having coffee today. Uh, so we've got some good feedback to start with. And then then I'm really looking forward to the hoopla this week. I feel like there's a couple of game changers in there we're going to talk about. But let's start with some of the alternatives. And I didn't really see a lot of these come across, so I'll have to pick your brain. But we asked for like alternatives to C++ on the Arduino slash embedded device space. And I know we got a few things. I saw a couple things fly by. Anything jump out at you, Mr. Dominic? Yeah, so there was a few things. Uh, one, I incorrectly stated that Go uh, GoBot had to be uh, tethered to the device. That's not true. Once you do that, you can run it after the fact. Very good. Which, of course, makes sense. Go ahead. I didn't realize that was actually... I didn't realize you'd made that statement, but that does make sense that you would sort of right. ruin the point. I don't remember making the statement, and truth be told, I've been super busy, so I did not listen back to the show, but someone wrote me and said, hey, you said this, it's yeah. wrong. Yeah, okay, good. You know, I work on the project. I said, okay, I'll correct it. Hmm. Um, anyway, a lot of folks... First of all, Chris, have you heard of Rust? Hmm, no, is that something that's... I mean, I think I have a little on my truck, yeah, so yeah, I've heard of Rust. Yeah, I mean, this it, is otherwise, I've never heard it in the context of technology or especially uh, development. You know who else's vehicle is rusty and sad? <laughs> don't don't say Judge Jar it's Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Strap in. It's an hour of I Jar Jar. Thought, I thought I got us past that, but now I realize I'm in for it for the whole episode. <laughs> I episode. Yeah, okay. Uh, so of course, we've talked about we. In fact, I think one of the reasons we talk about Rust the most is because there's so much damn excitement around it. Well, and we had an episode on it, I think, last week or the week before. We have the best Rust. Uh, it's really great. Nobody loves Rust as much as we do. You know, I, I in fact, think we're making Rust great again. But more to the point, someone sent me a GitHub page for Rust Embedded, which actually looks really cool. And Whoa. finally, I have a uh, yeah. Finally, I have a use for Rust. Okay, all right. So Rust Embedded, we got the GitHub li- the GitHub page linked up in the show notes. Enabling usage of Rust on embedded platforms for Linux. That's sort of awesome, and it looks like it's a whole little collection of things here. Rust Embedded Web yeah. Server, Docker Rust uh, images to test Rust code and variety of architectures. Wow, that's neat. Hmm, they're really they're really going all in with this. They're really going on. And this is not the only framework uh, in Rust that folks sent over, but this is certainly the most popular one. This is a cool I mean, one. I got, a Rust yeah. interface to the GPIO interface on Linux. That's big. Yeah. So that was one alternative. And I'm just going to go through these quickly because there were a few. Someone sent, because we also mentioned about, you know, I didn't think Java ME was appropriate. Well, someone found an open source Java framework that works, they say, fairly well with Arduino. Unfortunately, I was unable to verify the link for the website, so I didn't put it in the show notes. Uh, so if that's you, please send it again, and we'll talk about it next week. But that was interesting, and I actually was able to get some Java code running on Arduino using um, a pretty small project. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. But, you know, because we're all, we all, we're all super nerdy here, right? So we have to use Elixir. Take a look at nerves-project.org. Okay. And first of all, you know they're serious about open source when it's dash project.org. <laughs> I agree. Oh, as I open this on Linux and Firefox, but anyway. Whoa, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting – and I haven't shaved. So we don't even need to talk about that. Oh, I think we should if we have time because I haven't been shaving either. Excellent. So this one is actually – on the one hand, most attractive and least attractive. One, I don't love Elixir. I just don't love the way it looks and the syntax of it. I would say it is very foreign to me, but this project is actually pretty useful. One, they have hardware support for the BeagleBones, uh, particularly the BeagleBone Black, and for, I think, every Raspberry Pi that I'm I'm not sure. Um, I know they say the the two and the three, I, but I think they do support like the zero and the A and the B. Okay. Uh, if you are weird and you have an Intel Galileo, you're in good shape, which I thought was surprising. And this was actually really interesting to me, the, the Lego systems. I don't know a lot about the programmable Lego systems, but I do have a small son who in a year or two will eventually be able to play with it. And oh, I yeah. know you have uh, Dylan. Yep. And that, I think, is actually one thing that, at, looking at these embedded systems, I've overlooked. Uh, like the, uh, what is it, the Ibo? Or there's a toy you can buy. That's a programmable robot yeah. for kids, and there's the oh, BB-8 man. one that you can. Yeah, is it actually? It might, I think it actually starts with an I, like it's an I kind of. It's like Aibo. I I wish I had. Uh, yeah. Pay more attention. I wish but I had any shits to give, so I remembered the name of it. <laughs> you know who cares a lot? Like, uh, kids. I mean, I could see it being pretty cool. I just you know didn't the seem applicable kids to me. That no longer have 
twice that Jar Jar Binks has to entertain. Oh my god! <laughs> that was that time. I did not see it coming. I did not. Yes. Uh, uh, here we go. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, this is pretty interesting. One thing I like about this, like the GoBot. They have a lot of different device compatibility. So it's not just Arduino. In fact, they weirdly don't list list Arduino, but I'm pretty sure if I use Platform IO, it's going to work. So there's that. Um, if you remember Platform IO, I think we featured in the show that was two weeks ago, mm. which is uh, basically an abstraction tool for working on these systems. I will say that now that I actually know how to operate Gobot correctly and not like a moron. It's probably the most attractive option only because they have the most built-in compatibility with the components that I can easily access. Uh, I mean, they have motors, uh, yeah, serviles, yeah. They have, yeah, LEDs. Yeah, it was like vision a, sensors. Yeah, and it, it was like you could just look at what they support and start to get ideas of what you want to build. Yeah, I just brought it up. And, and they actually do have the, the Aibo, I guess is how you would say that, and the BB-8 bot that you can buy for kids. They, they have that compatible. A Wemo, which I'm not sure what you're doing with, but... Have fun. <laughs> You're controlling the robots, probably. I don't know. I, I or or it's a laser. <laughs> I think the leap motion is pretty cool. I'd love to see more drones show up on this list because uh, those drones aren't awesome, but they're cool. Mavlink and Mini Drone are very fun, and so is Chip. Um, and I think Chip even runs Ubuntu. Well, you know, you could build your own drone, right? In fact, they were doing it System seventy six when I was there. They just had little microcontrollers. Yeah, and uh, you know the. I feel like that's I don't I don't feel like I could do that right now. I mean that would be such an undertaking, but for me it would be more like getting the Mavlink or the mini drone. Right. Or the AR drone. Well, I think like in fact I'm thinking of doing this. A great starter point for this is like to just to buy, you know, the basic Arduino board. I have it on mm-hmm. my desk here. Mm-hmm. Or to buy something like the BB eight bot yeah. and simply like do little modifications to the controls. Um so that that has been interesting because if you remember, Chris, last week I was kind of saying, oh, shit, I have to jump into C++ now. And while that's hardcore, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> you know, you're gonna, I mean, now we're going to hear, you, Mike, you really should just bite the bullet. You know we're going to get that email. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm waiting for the email I get at least twice a month about, Mike, everything you just said is a horrible abstraction. Yeah, there's that. So with so C++, guys. I right, like, I look at this and see the reason why C plus for so for somebody like me C plus plus would never be an option and the kind of use case that this does possibly uh, scratch for me would be uh, I would love to automate certain aspects of my RV's functionality. There are a lot of just switches and buttons that I have to flip that don't don't really require me to flip them. Like it, everything is essentially can be triggered and turned on and t- turned off, but you just have to go flip a DC switch to have it start. And I would like to be able to centralize that to one central panel or one central app um, and, and then be able to, with one thing, you know, deploy the awning that requires a flip of a switch, use the jack stabilizers, which requires, requires pushing another button, turn the water pump on, which I have to walk over to another spot and flip a switch. And none of it would be to, like, save, save exercise or save time. It would just be simply to have a hob, to, you know, to have a little hobby to automate this stuff because it's all just relays and switches that could be automated. And you could, I would love to be able to do it, like, with sensor temperatures so when something's cold or too hot, something could be turned on or off. And this entire GoBot kid or whatever is is all set to do that like i could basically i could there's even somebody like me could get started and that's saying something yeah there's there's a lot to start with i mean i i think that as the stuff matures and becomes more commonplace we're actually going to see more um i don't know how to say but like abstracted style frameworks like gobot um and like r2 which i didn't mention the show but it's basically a ruby implementation of gobot though it has a lot less hardware support yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah, I could definitely see that. It seems to be happening. It's happening now, as uh, Wolf Blitzer would say. So oh, that's pretty good. So GoBot.io we've talked about before. Rust Embedded, we'll have links to that in the show notes. And then there was another one that you'd heard of. Oh, also Elixir is in there too. Yeah, we mentioned Elixir briefly today. Yeah. Um, got a lot of good stuff Yeah. There. So, okay. So if you're curious about this topic or want to know more, they got links in there. And if you've got things you've been trying out, you know, you maybe uh, – Walk this path, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, and choose the Coda Radio program from the dropdown. If you'd like to get your feedback on the show for things we talk about today, you also go there. 
jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Um, anywhere else would be a good play. I guess the subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. Yeah, subreddit is really good. Um, and, and please, you don't need to tell me that Russ exists. I get it. It's there. You we got it like all it. over our vehicles, guys. Got it. Got it all oh. over our vehicles. All so so can, I, can I throw you a curveball? Mm-hmm. I have a war story. Oh, really? I didn't put in the show notes. Do you want to do an ad and then we'll do that? Sure, yeah. All right. Oh, ooh. Life, look life at you teasing. I love it, man. All right. Yeah. Go to digitalocean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. You apply it to your account after you sign up and you get a $10 credit. This is a great way to try out DigitalOcean. And if you've signed up already and you forgot to apply the promo, you can still do it. Coder Digital, one word, you get that $10 credit. That's big because DigitalOcean, you can get up and running in just minutes you can get a data center all over the world anywhere you just pick it they got them like everywhere in everybody's house what i'm sorry what that's not true they don't have them in every oh 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 okay hold on i've been getting an update it's apparently they have them in new york san francisco singapore amsterdam london toronto germany and they just spun one up in india and they're building new ones all the time 40 gigabit e connections into the hypervisors the hypervisors run linux kvm for the virtualizer the guests are super fast machines because they're running all on ssds throughout the entire stack if you're getting the $5 a month rig or if you're going all the way up to the one of the big mamma jammas with like 200 gigabytes of ram it's all ssd lightning fast networking private networking this is perfect for like doing backups or proxying i'm just saying Highly available block storage, which you can attach up to your rig and go up to 16 terabytes as you need it. A simple API to work with and unbelievable pricing. Look at this. This is my favorite rig right here, right here in the middle. Three cents an hour. Three cents an hour, two gigs of RAM, two core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. That's more horsepower than you need. It's, when you're running just straight up Linux without a GUI and you've got a great network connection and you've got fantastic disk I.O., you've got hyper-virtualized uh, Drivers for like your NIC, and you got para-virtualized drivers for your disk I.O. I mean, this thing really smokes. It's like it's like the Millennium Falcon. It can do like parsecs. I, I don't even know how that worked. That was ridiculous. What? What? Don't talk about because of Disney. Just keep it. You got this? Okay. Right here? Okay, yeah, okay. Their interface is simple and intuitive with a very good control panel, and power users can replicate it on a larger scale with the straightforward API. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mention Harrison Ford. I won't spoil it. All right, and then you've also, I think this is really the big deal. Guys, if you want to look like a boss, check this out. You can now scale your applications and improve availability across your infrastructure in a thousand clicks. What? Oh. <laughs> just a few clicks. I, can't, I got it. I right, get it out of here. I'm trying to do a spot. Just a few clicks. You can now scale your infrastructure in just a few clicks. This is legit. If you're a one-person shop and you want to look like big business, or if you're a big business and you want to be able to deploy infrastructure and not mess it up, Go check out DigitalOcean's integrated load balancer system for $20 a month. It's an unbelievable system. And your your web apps, your website, and your cars, the fl- what? Not cars? Okay. Yeah, I, just your websites and your applications. They'll load like crazy. And, of course, DigitalOcean always wraps it all up with some fantastic documentation to make sure you understand every new feature that they've just rolled out. Check it out at DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Coder Digital, when you apply it to your account, you get a $10 credit. Thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thanks to you guys for using the promo code CODERDIGITAL. All right, Mr. Dominic. I uh, I think I'm ready. Just stroke it a little I bit. I think I'm in the range. What? <laughs> All right, give it to me. What is your war story? Okay, so let's talk about accounting for a moment. Let's talk about accounting having years of tax returns on computers. Let's talk about not backing up those files. Let's talk about the computer getting a short from a lightning storm. Oh, no, 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 no. This is starting to sound like a bad, bad war story. It was saved by Linux, actually. Oh, hold on. So, hold on. I, can I uh, hold on? I got to write this down. <laughs> oh, this might be a segment for the Linux Action Show. Hold on. <laughs> all right, tell me what happened. All right. So, I have lots of relatives who are accountants because Italian people love accounting. I don't know. <laughs> is, I, is, it, is it Italian people? Oh. Or it's New Jersey, and you know, so lightning storm. Good, good night, Saigon. Goes the Windows Seven Dell PC. Great. Okay, I get up, get up there on Sunday. Spend the entire day Sunday. I start 
as you might by taking components out of the tower, saying, is it just like the video card that got a hit? Because for some reason, this accountant has a two gigabyte NVIDIA card in his PC. All that means is the Dell salesman did a great job. I mean, <laughs> we could just let that go. Um, I start taking out RAM chips. No dice. Computer won't turn on. Okie dokie. I have another Dell Tower. This is one of those things you're doing where like, I'm going to make sure it's none of the easy stuff that is just a component failure I can swap out. Video card, RAM. Yeah, I was sort of hoping I could just rip out the NVIDIA card and be like, great, I'm done here, right? Yeah, that's it. Um, No, so then I determined that the entire PC is shot. So uh, I take out the hard drive. I have another Dell Tower that had previously been running uh, dual booting Ubuntu and Windows 7. Wipe it. I install. See, see now, I, the second lazy plan, right? Let me take Dell Tower number two and just slot in the drive from the other computer. I was I just wondering if you tried that. Because, yeah. you know, first of all, the, let's be honest. You don't want, the, the more time you invest in this, the, the more and more of a sunk cost it is. So you don't want, you're hoping that you can right. take and these... It, and this is the family IT situation, right? So, yeah. I, you know, this is this is sunk time. Uh, I totally would have done this too. I know there's going to be, like, issues because drivers and shit, but, like, let me just see if it can read the drive. Yeah. iOS reads the drive, tries to boot into Windows. Windows can't boot. Okay. Yeah. Blue screen's on Try boot. To, uh, no blue screen, just, just uh, you know, that weird window. Remember, we're, we're in Windows 7 land right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So it's that weird black and white screen yeah. where it's like, I can't boot. Would you like to try so, Windows Startup Repair? Would you like to boot normally? Would you like to try Safe Mode? Startup Repair. Yeah. Took two hours. Nothing happened. <laughs> tried, tried Safe Mode. Can't boot. Into and you're like, mode. when it's in Startup Repair, you're like, okay, maybe this is the moment. Microsoft has got it all together. They'll analyze my hardware. They'll pull down the signed drivers from Windows Update. It'll automatically install these drivers, reboot, and my system will be up and running. That's what you're hoping for. No. Yeah. So next step. All right. Let me run into the, uh, the you know, you can boot into Windows C prompt, right? I'm thinking I'm going to boot into the Windows C prompt, and I'm going to run check disk. Can't boot into the Windows C prompt. Okay. Let me boot into the Dell uh, recovery partition. Mm-hmm. And into the, you know, Dell has those BIOS utilities on most modern computers. Yeah. Now, the reason is people are saying step one, Linux Live C. I did not have my equipment with me. At this oh juncture. man, yeah. Oh, this is. So so you're, just, oh, you're you're stuck playing I, I tech have, support, and you don't even have your tools. Right, and there's no computer for <laughs> me to create a live CD or do anything like that. Oh, and man. I live roughly an hour away from from Whew. this relative. So I oh, and my wife and and ten uh, month old son were with me, tapping and their foot. Come on, come on. We don't have all day. Well, visiting, but you know, babies have a have a low yes. tolerance mm-hmm. for for like sitting around right. in strange houses, right? So I'm thinking, okay, the Stell BIOS tool has a has a hard disk uh, check utility. I literally have no idea what this tool does, but it says it's going to check the health of the hard disk. And it's by the manufacturer of the computer. Sure. I run it. Your hard disk is corrupt. <laughs> okay. Although it took an hour and a half to tell me that. So at this point, you know, my son Reese is getting fussy. Uh, I drive him and Laura home. I get home. I pick up the Lemoore. I swing by Best Buy, pick up a bay, you know, one of those uh, SATA bays. Don't tell you to like, just shove a SATA drive in them and then use it as USB to your computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pick up one of those and then a, uh, and a, and a one of those passport things, a backup drive. All right. So you're thinking I'm going to take this drive out. I'm going to go external storage. It'll attach it. It'll show up like on Windows, like a D drive or something. And I'll just go get the files. So what I'm well, the Windows can't read the drive at all. Oh, we've okay. already established that. Okay. So what I'm what I'm thinking is that I'm going to take the lemur because I know if I attach it via USB to Ubuntu, you know, I can Linux can read it, right? At the worst case, I go into, uh, you know, terminal and, and clone the drive. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you know? The second I plug the drive into the lemur, it reads it. No file corruption whatsoever. Run gparted on it. Nothing. Within, I would say, twenty minutes of plugging into Lemur, I had every I had every tax return, every document required, with a simple Ruby script to bash and piping to bash. Obviously, done. That's nice. You know, I 
I remember shot. a time and a day when it was it was moving a mountain to get NTFS support on Linux, and now you just plug in a drive, and you didn't even have to think about enabling NTFS support. It just mounts. That's like, and that's that is. I thought the story was going that the, I thought you were going to say the drive is dead. <laughs> I thought that's where the story was. No, going. So, so so that's actually the point of the story. I learned a lot about how Windows reads hard drives, and uh, they have some weird rules where if they see things it doesn't like. It's just going to say that the drive is corrupt, mm-hmm. and it's not going to attempt to read it, which is kind of insane. Yeah, I f- and I also – I think I, I seem to recall like the NTFS support in Linux is sort of built on the presumption that NTFS screws up a lot. And so uh, – right, it- yeah, 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 I saw that somewhere mm-hmm. where it just assumes that the drive is fucked up and it will try to read what it can read. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. That's, so it's a war story with a happy ending at least. So did they end a up war getting – story- well, they ended up getting all their data back. Uh, there, there was a, a casualty, though. Oh, I only had a Windows 10 upgrade disk. <laughs> <laughs> they were none too pleased <laughs> about that, that little detail. Did you just wipe? So, are they even using the same hard drive? You just wipe the drive? No, no. I, oh. I, uh, I, I, the other tower had a had a drive in it. So, well, that was very nice of you. There's our war story for the day. You know, we have another war story of another kind. Uh, this guy, Emmanuel, writes about switching away from Atom to Visual yes. Studio Code. And this kind of caught my attention because I'd seen several other individuals in our chat room talking about it. So this is all anecdotal. I, I totally acknowledge that. But I thought it was kind of maybe worth discussing here on the show just from a tools perspective. He says, I moved away from Atom. I was an Atom user for nearly a year. Uh, and uh, he said, so why did I go to Visual Studio Code? Part of it was it did load in less than 10 seconds. It took almost no CPU usage where he was having some weird helper issues with uh, uh, Adam on his Mac. IntelliSense, he says, is legit. The fact that you can mouse over a function and see what it does or command click on a file path and go right to the file is awesome. You can do this. You can do the same thing in Atom, I know, but it's just not as smooth as Visual Studio Code. And that, I thought, was my particular observation. That's where I've really... Uh, I notice a difference in Visual Studio Code. I don't use it on on a daily basis, but when I do jump in, I'm like, that is, that feels better than everybody else's. Uh, packages like Atom, Visual Studio Code has a lot of packages. The Visual Studio community put a lot of effort into making your experience with this text editor better every day. I do miss some of the Atom packages. At the same time, though, I have some new favorites for Visual Studio Code: Path Intelligent, uh, I'm sorry, Path IntelliSense which helps you get the relative path of your file and help you autocomplete path names when you do something like, and he gives an example, and that does look really nice. Project Manager is an extension that he says that helps his life a lot. And then the auto rename tag, the JavaScript code snippets, output colorizer, which is kind of cool. You can add color to the internal uh, to the internal terminal. I'll say that five times fast. And did I mention that there's a built-in terminal, he says. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the rest are not as impressive to me, although you can read the whole list if you'd like. Uh, I thought this is also kind of neat for those of you that like to do time tracking. Waka Time, this plugin will track your time spent in your text editor each week. It's like a Fitbit for a programmer. It will tell you which project you spend the most time on, which language you use the most, and can even keep track of goals you set during the week. Probably most of you time trackers already have something to do that, but it's kind of nice that Waka Time is an extension to do that. And then he goes through and talks about his uh, snippet settings, his packages, all that. So you can find a link in the show notes. Any any uh, any follow up thoughts on Visual Studio Code? It's been a while since it's been released. They've done some updates to it. Uh, have you been leaving it alone, or have you uh, picked it up from time to time? Yeah, like I have. yeah. You know, I, you know, I tried out Atom, um, and then I went over to Visual Studio Code for many of the reasons that the uh, author of this post mentions, particularly performance. But uh, then I went to Vim because it's faster. Are you asking uh, with me, really? Really, you're that guy now. Yeah. Well, I, I'm mostly in my JetBrains IDEs, plug, plug, plug. Oh, uh, okay, right? okay, yeah, yeah. I, I can I understand that. Quick scripting or quick, um, you know, like writing notes or a file edit, I'm pretty much just popping open Terminal and writing it in Vim, yeah. Hmm. That, I guess that doesn't, that doesn't really, that doesn't seem too out of whack, actually. Especially what I find that to be, the reason why I find that to be probably even the way I lean myself the majority of the time is because often I'm doing it inside an SSH session. And right. so that's that's really what drives it. But when I am working on some well, – yeah, I really only do it when I'm either working on a web file locally before I FTP it up, whatever it might be, something for the website, something for whatever. Or uh, if I'm working on – like I have a project list markdown file that I, I, uh, that I also keep track of, which is pretty, it's pretty long and complicated at this point. So 
I find I find really though that if I'm actually editing a file for production use, it's almost always in an SSH terminal, and it probably is Vim uh, or Nano. Nano users unite! Woo! Nano forever! Nano dash W! Nano tech W! Nano tech W! Mike is super excited about PHP becoming the first programming language to add modern cryptography library to its core. They have the team over at PHP. Uh, the PHP Graybeards have unanimously voted to integrate LibSodium library in the PHP core and by doing so becoming the first programming language to support modern cryptography libraries. By default, the proposal to embed LibSodium, a.k.a. known as Sodium, into PHP standard library came from Scott Ozerwinski, the chief development officer at the Paragon Initiative Enterprises, a man that has champ has champagned for stronger cryptography in PHP CMSs in the past. He champagned for it, Mike. Uh, you caught this story, which I thought this would be a story I would be uh, tagging for the show, but no, you caught it. So uh, tell me what's it, what's going on in that mind of yours, Mike. Well, I have to say, my hat is off to the PHP Graybeards. I'm pretty sure that they're actually ahead of the game here. Um, I think we're going to see as cryptography becomes more and more mandatory in online services, as the threat goes up, these are going to be things that become internalized into the language and into the platform. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw, you know, Java follow up next, or maybe that's a bad example, you know, Ruby follow up next, right? A vote of 37 to zero. Yeah, they say that it'll be added to the 7.2 release that will be launched at the end of 2017. Uh, 7.2. So current version as of this article is 7.1.2. Yeah, I, I would say uh, Alan Jude was right. That's what I would say to this. Alan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, it's interesting. Some people in chat saying they're actually not the first person to do this. It's not news. I think when PHP does it, and I'm going to throw up a little bit, it matters more. Right? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Did we at some point in this show say that we only cover breaking news? When did that happen? Why is that, why is that all of a sudden a, a random gold marker, which we are now reviewing all content for? I don't understand. Well, Chris, we, all, we also only cover startups, I heard recently. I, I, you know, I feel like since we covered this before the end of 2017, before it shipped, we're still pretty legit in talking about this. So I'm not really sure where that's at. Uh, and I, I don't I, – I'm just not my I – really, I, don't, I don't really know. Maybe PHP isn't the first. What do I know? I think the process well, of yeah. them integrating LibSodium at such a unanimous vote is a big deal, and I think it's worth talking about. I don't really care if it's breaking news or not. This Whoa. article, by the yeah. way, that we were reading from – was published on the twentieth, so seven days ago. So, 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 so the reason that's a big deal, and I and I think you misunderstood him. He's telling you that they're not the first language to do it. Not mm. that it it did just happen, right? Is that it's one thing if like Rust. I'm just going to pick on Rust. I'm sorry, Rust people. I know. <laughs> Wait, you talking about my truck? Uh, exactly. Like if Rust does something, or Haskell does it, or you know Elixir does it, that's great. But that's such a small community and small percentage of the market that that's very different than when like Java or PHP or Ruby does it, especially PHP, which, you know, it's kind of notorious for security problems, right? I mean, PHP, and I get it. I it's get got it. a rep. It is, not, it is not the fault of the language. It is the fault of the fact that PHP has such a huge, 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 huge community that, you know, when they do something, even if other people have done it first, they are planting a flag and they're putting a stake particularly for other web development languages uh, because now this is something where well well mike uh you know that ruby you love i mean to my knowledge ruby does not have cryptology, cryptology built in and i might just be wrong right or God, not this, this is way. such a this is i mean i mean not to yeah, get such off, a rabbit hole this is like, such a geek who, argument here's what the here's what oh my god i swear this is this is what's wrong with the world can we just like not focus on the here's what the article reads verbatim the php team has unanimously voted to integrate the libsodium library in the php core and by doing so becoming the first programming language to support a modern cryptography library by default that's what they're saying you know, there was a pissing contest a number of years ago about who inv- who thought of the slide out menu for iPhone first. Yeah, also put, like, pull down the refresh yeah. too. Remember that? Yeah, right. I remember. Oh, we had it first, but we just weren't popular. So, right. Like, it doesn't matter. The point is that PHP is solving a problem that PHP has. That you know, 
probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of developers who are PHP developers very much have. There we go. It's good news. It's uh, positive. Nope. I can't stand Libsodium. I am anti-Libsodium, and uh, I refuse to accept I, this Libsodium news. I have high blood pressure, Mike. I, I can't do Libsodium. It's fake news. This is Jar Jar Binks writing this article. Ooh. Sean, Sean, I need you to calm down now. So uh, we got to – can we move off? We can, we're only allowed to cover breaking news. So let's talk about news that's breaking today. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, here we go. It's legitimate breaking news. Congratulations. This is CNN Breaking News. Mozilla acquires Pocket. Mozilla is excited to announce that Mozilla Corporation has completed the acquisition of Read It Later, Inc., the developers of Pocket. I think this is Mozilla's first major acquisition. Yeah, they said, as our first strategic acquisition, Pocket contributes to our strategy. Yeah. Wow. What do you think of this, Mike? Yeah, I don't... uh... My, you know, my first thought was this is – so I, I, I actually think it's this is – before I say this next part, <clears throat> now I've thought about it a little bit. I think this is a brilliant move on Mozilla's part. Uh, but at first, it felt like Mozilla was trying to save face because the, a huge portion of the Firefox community was very upset that it felt like they were ramming Pocket down everyone's throat. And a lot of right. people didn't like just this integration of Pocket right into Firefox. And so you might think that perhaps this was Mozilla's way of sort of – Digging themselves out of that hole by saying, well, people are still bitching about that. God, they're still bitching. Maybe we'll just buy them out. Just buy them out. And then now now what are they going to (laughs) say? That was my first thought, which is not a charitable charitable, uh, analysis. I'll tell you, though, having thought about it a little bit, there's something that Pocket has that Mozilla doesn't have. Pocket has really strong existing advertising deals in place. They have about 10 million active users, they say. I don't know if that's true or not, but they say they have 10 million active users and they have existing ad deals and an ad sales platform, which is already making money. So when I think about it from that side, I kind of think it makes a little more sense. This is also pretty good functionality just to have built into your browser. So for those of you that maybe don't know what Pocket does, it's it's an Instapaper style. It grabs an article downloads it and sort of strips away a lot of the excessive stuff in a site and gives you a nice readable, clean version that you can pull up later on. So say you're during the, you're at, I used to use this all the time at work and now I use it to help uh, do show research. I come across a story when I was at work that I wanted to read, but I, I had to get back to a task I was working on. I would toss it into Instapaper and then later on I would pull up Instapaper on a tablet or on my phone and I would read through it. And then one of the really nice things about – and why I stuck with Instapaper over Pocket is uh, Instapaper supports the open dyslexia font. So for me, it makes – I can read I can read much quicker and easier and I can really bang through stuff with that font. Um, and so that was why I just went with Instapaper over Pocket. But it's essentially the same two things. There's other, there's other products on the market as well. And there's also things like Pinboard which have sort of I think slowed these saving applications a little bit. So you're going to have 10 million unique monthly active users, they say, on iOS, Android, and web that they're picking up. They, Mozilla says that uh, Pocket users save 3 billion pieces, quote-unquote, of content so far. They're going to work closely with Pocket over the next year, and everything's essentially going to stay the same. They're going to just be like a wholly-owned subsidiary of the Mozilla Corporation and part of the Mo- a Mozilla Open Source project. But at least for the next year, not very much is going to change, at least as far as the public goes, according to Chris Beard. Yes, his last name is Beard, the CEO of Mozilla. I think it could I be about ads. Uh, I, well, I think Mozilla is probably looking for ways to monetize. And I don't see – I don't know. I'm a pocket user, but I, I have no idea like what's going on with the app itself, right, in terms of you know, are they making money, are they not? Um, I think it's interesting because what is you know we I, I forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was three or four weeks ago we were talking about Mozilla and we were talking about Firefox and how sort of for developers Chrome has become the de facto target. Mm. Now I I've been taking the Firefox challenge and more or less liking it, um, but I'm wondering if they're not going to I don't know, is this a step in Mozilla trying to bring 
kind of like marquee products into the Mo- into the Firefox or the Mozilla space. Almost like building attractions in a theme park, right? That's interesting. Like, like the first of the Firefox, Firefox, the first right. of the Firefox platform. Right, and, and that's exactly where I'm going with this. And my thinking is, are they going to open some sort of additional developer APIs, additional developer support, where your app will work well on all browsers because they are pretty committed to you know openness and all of that. You know, I don't know. But, it seems to me that it's also potentially a um, a a bail them out purchase financial thing. Yeah, totally. because maybe Pocket. Here's, here's it's tough, right? Because first of all, you it's competitive just in the save it later space which is a niche among internet users to begin with. And then you're going up against Apple, which has a built-in read-it-later service into Safari, and Facebook, which is trying to get people to use their read-it-later service. And I'm sure Chrome or, or Android is going to have something sort of like this soon too. I, I, I feel like it's extremely competitive and there's some huge incumbents and in some cases platform providers that are bundling this feature in. Now maybe it can stay... Are you saying the independent app developer wasn't making a lot of money? Yeah, I'm saying it's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. But I was just watching Planet of the Apps. <laughs> you bastard. You bastard. <laughs> we almost had a whole episode without mentioning that. Uh, I, so I think it could be a save, the sh- save their sinking ship move, although I didn't really see any pleas of desperation from Pocket beforehand. I, I think this is useful functionality. I think people who haven't tried this but like to read a lot or if there's things you want to save for the weekend that are sort of interesting but not really relevant to your day-to-day workday, it's really nice to just have like a spot on your weekend where you know you've got a few great articles queued up to read. And I think it's great yeah, functionality. No, I, use it every, I, mean, I use it every day, but I, I just – I don't know. I mean maybe I, I – the more I think about it, the more it sounds like I'm, I'm kind of hitting the hash pipe here. I am – I was hoping for some sort of almost like, you know – Mozilla strikes back, right? Where they would somehow just beef up Firefox, beef up their web development offerings. Well, they're working on the Firefox part. Well, right, because I, I think we are sort of seeing a Chrome hegemony, in particular, certainly WebKit hegemony, right? Because mm. WebKit's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just living in a lie. You're an old-fashioned kind of gal. That's what it is. You're an old-fashioned kind of gal. Um, <clears throat> I think I think Mozilla... I think it's fascinating. One last one last observation. Big deal to me that this is their first strategic, as they say, acquisition. It just I think that's also very noteworthy. And I'm, I might consider now switching over to Pocket from Instapaper. I'm not necessarily married to Instapaper. And I kind of feel like Pocket's probably going to have a longer life cycle if it's part of Mozilla now. Well, Instapaper's over at Betaworks, right? Yeah, yeah. Which they're fine. I see. They're fine. fine. Yeah, they're fine. But yeah. yeah, I just thought that was thought that was kind of interesting story. All right, so there's something I think right. this is there's the that I've been saving this last story. This I'm really excited about. I'm I, I'm pretty sure you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pop my bubble, but we got to talk about it. Let me get my pen. Okay. okay. First, scaleyourcode.com. Go to scaleyourcode.com and learn from successful developers and rabbits. What? No, no. Oh, there's no rabbits. Oh, oh, it's experts. Oh, oh, I thought you said wascally rabbits. You can see how experts run their platforms and get an inside look at how companies grow their infrastructure and solve difficult engineering problems. This is, this is such a great service because it's free. You just sign up. You get a newsletter. It's about maybe two, three emails a month. So it's not a high traffic newsletter. And you get access to these interviews. You get to learn when there's new interviews posted. I was looking around today on their site. Check out this one. Check out this one. Building services as a, as a platform apps at scale and building great teams with Heroku co-founders. That's right. Adam is a hacker and entrepreneur. Oh, apparently he's a crypto geek too. And he's a drug policy reformer living in Berlin. I didn't know that. He's also the co-founder of Heroku. I got to watch this interview. I got to watch this. I have some learning to do. Scaleyourcode.com. Go there. Sign up. Learn how others run tools in production. Learn from the mistakes they've made so you don't have to make it. Get an insight in the, into their engineering culture, into their engineering tools, their mindset. They have experts on there from Google, Etsy, Shopify, Docker, the chief architect of Reddit, co-founder of Stack Exchange, the founder of Ruby on Rails, and the CTO of Basecamp. In fact, I don't think I've even watched David's interview yet. It's another one i got to watch. I, I just have a list. I love it. Scaleyourcode.com. Go there. 
give it a little uh, little uh, input right there. You see this? This is this is. I'm going to explain this to you because you might be new. This is the internet, and this is a web page. You go to this web page, and they got a box right there in the middle. No, 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 right there. Look, look, it's in there in the middle. You go and you put your email address in there, and you say, I want to learn. Not I want to be dumb. So they didn't, that's not what the button says. It says, I want to learn. Because you get access to these interviews. You get notifications about new interviews. And you can unsubscribe at any time. So once you're done, you go ahead. What? What? Go ahead. Do it. ScaleYourCode.com, go there, check them out, learn from renowned engineers, learn about their cultures, their tools, the problems they've solved, and the mistakes they've made at ScaleYourCode.com. And a big thank you to ScaleYourCode for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mike, it's here. It's real. You can't deny it anymore. It's not fake news. Cute, quick WebGL streaming. WebGL streaming is optimized for cute. QQuick allows you to run a remote QT application in a browser. Now, it's got to be a QQuick application, but get ready for this. When the remote application runs using this new platform plugin, the application will create a lightweight web server. Yeah, dog. Right there. Right then and there. When a user connects to the application, a WebSocket connection is opened between the server and the client using QWebSocket server. What's up? The application running on a remote computer will then serialize all GL calls to binary data and then sends it using WebSocket connections. The local browser will send the events like mouse, touch, keyboards, you know, those kinds of things, to remote applications. So user interactions, totes allowed, even multi-touch support, up to six of your dirty fingers. Huh? How about this? Look, I got, there's all these uh, videos here. They got videos with demos. Mm, Chris. This Chris, is, Chris. come on. This is huge. This is huge. Huge. This is huge. Desktop browsers are also supported, so it's not just for those mobile lackeys that like their Facebook. You can also do it on the computers that like to get work done. Uh, they, I mean, you could have you could you could have your you can have your right once and your cake. Come on, Mike. Get oh, excited. Chris. Come no. on, Mike. It's fired up. Come on. No, no, no. Okay. What did you just say? You can have your right once and your cake. Yeah, man. Yeah, right. And I think in the in the four and a half years or however long we've been doing the show, <laughs> I have proven <laughs> that you can't. Right. Ah, oh, there go my hopes and my dreams. Right there. Like if you were a freshman in college listening to this show and you decided on on a binge, I guess, lame spring break to listen to the entire <laughs> run of it. If you learned only one thing, you would have learned that right once, run everywhere it's a myth. is just a lie. No, it's not even a myth. It's a straight-up lie. But what if you took – hold on. What if you took Cute, WebGL, and WebSockets nope. Nope. and put it all together in a delicious lasagna? It's like a casserole. Have, wait, wait, wait. Chris, Chris, Chris. What if I took uh-huh. Objective-C uh-huh. – the Objective C runtime, uh-huh. Android, yeah. Java, uh-huh. C Sharp, .NET, yeah. and XAML. Okay. And we don't throw in some MVVM while I'm at it. And we just put that in a soup and saw what we got. I mean, that seems like a bad idea. Okay, well, you just invented Xamarin, which actually actually works now. Just, you know, you're not writing once wondering every. I mean, Xamarin <sighs> form, still bad, still terrible. Come on. Xamarin regular, you're writing it twice anyway. Ha ha but you're doing it in C-sharp. So I will be honest. I have not done more than a little dinky thing in, in Cute Quick. But this is the same lie, right? Yeah. This is like whispers in the dark. Oh, come on, baby. I love you. I mean, come on. It, just because it's coming from Cute, you, you think it's true? Computer, this isn't what I wanted at all. All right. You're right. And here's... Here's where it started setting off alarm bells for me is when you start talking about using WebSockets as the go-between, that is a performance killer. Um, and that is that is really going to limit this to applications that I'm not going to ever want to use. And they know this. In fact, they know this. They don't go out right – come right out and say this. But in right. Qt 5.10, they're working on something to help with this, compression extensions for WebSockets. So it's something – right. a compression system that will sit on top of WebSockets – and it's going to be a framework for creating WebSocket extensions that add compression functionality to the WebSocket protocol. I mean, and this is really a fix for a problem that we already know. It's, and it's not going to solve it completely. 
Uh, so this were, these were the alarm bells went off for me was using WebSockets as the go-between. It's just whenever that happens, you know, you're going to get something that's not nearly as fast as you might want for a GL-type application. <laughs> it just seems like the two things are – I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess you could use GL for the interface and for the input. But uh, I, I love the idea, though, of, of, of – here's where the excitement comes in. I still hate web apps. Remember how much crap I got when I said that like a year and a half ago? You mean from me? Yeah, <laughs> and from the audience. I still hate Google Docs. I still hate every social networking application I use. Every major website that I have to fill something out where they have a complicated application, there's always something wrong with the way it works, with the usability, the way it integrates, whatever. It just is always a bad experience. It's still not as good as the applications that I was running on Mac OS and DOS and Windows 3 back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. The application, those old desktop, no man, those old desktop applications still had more functionality and were way faster launching off 5400 spinning RPM rust. You're full of crap. No, Windows 3, come on. These web apps are atrocious. They're function, see, we've we've just accepted the fact that the functionality of these applications has gone back 15 years. We just it's 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 dramatically worse. It's it's dramatically worse in terms of. All kinds of things like keyboard shortcuts, the way it interacts with your windows, the, w- the performance, the usability, the complete arbitrary UI for all the different applications where there's absolutely zero consistency. We spent so many years talking about consistent user interfaces and human interface guidelines, and then it all goes out the, goes out the window. It just goes out the window when you're using a web application. It's still garbage, Mike. I mean, they're very useful, but I, I think you're being dishonest if you don't say they're all garbage in some way. They're all garbage in some way. So they're compromised, right? Yeah, Not they're all compromised. Yeah, they're all compromised, and right. it makes experience awful. Garbage. The worst. I, I it's a huge problem. They're garbage? We've got to build a wall. Oh, my God. Keep, keep those filthy JavaScript developers out. All right. So let's take Google Docs, for example. Yeah. Right? Yep. I am running Firefox. I would like to copy this link. Mm-hmm. I right-click. Right. I hit copy. I can't do it because I'm not in Chrome. Right. That's bad. But what? How about the speed? How about how about how long it takes to get the whole Google Docs interface up and get the doc you want actually going? The interface to find the docs, especially when you're working with multiple people on a team, they the things move around in the list. It takes a while for the list to load. Then it takes a while for the UI to fully load. It's faster than it used to be, but it's still slower than it is for LibreOffice to load off my SSD. And yes, I understand why that is, but I feel like it's still too much of a compromise. That's all. So. So that's why uh, a while back, right, about that we both in fact, you converted me to this point of view that we both thought the future was going to be basically everything you use as an HTML interface with JavaScript, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. basically, or some sort of web type application. Mm -hmm. Are you now saying that you don't think that that's true? No, no, it's still happening. No, 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 it's still happening. Okay. Yeah, of course. We're just like, you know, the best technology does not win. That's never had the case. That's never the case. No, the 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 cheapest wins, right? The cheapest, the most the most widely usable by the rest of the industry. You know, the things that are not locked to a specific vendor. All those these things eventually seem to win out, uh, and, and and it is very useful. In fact, and Linux and the desktop desktop Linux has been one of the biggest benefactors from this change in 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 you know a long time as far as platform adoption goes. It's it's great for Linux. It's fantastic for Linux. I just think it's awful for end users. And that's why when I saw something like Cute Quick with WebGL, part of me goes, "Let's reboot. Let's rethink the way we let's rethink the way we deliver applications over the web. Let's get away from like these JavaScripts in a web browser. The JavaScript in a web browser has got to go because first of all, you know where you know where the application falls down for me is once it's as soon as it's restricted within the the confines of my browser window." As soon as my okay, browser well, crashing about, can take out the application, then it's not – it's already it's already fundamentally compromised compared to a native application. And what about Electron apps? I feel like those are much, much, much better, closer. I, I, I get – like for example, with, elect, with a good Electron app, I get system tray notifications that integrate with my desktop environment's uh, notification preview. I can put it on its own desktop window. I, uh, environment virtual desktop i can close my web browser uh, these are all things that make it much more usable and performance is you know 
It's still not as good as a native application, but it doesn't have to be perfect. There's, I'm willing, like I use these apps, I'm willing to compromise, and I feel like an Electron app does get you to fewer compromises. So your primary objection is really that most web apps are tethered to the browser and slow. shell, so to speak. And the UI is usually crap, and a lot of times there's a compromise in like either keyboard commands I can make or the way it grabs mouse focus or just little things like that that are different than a native application might be. All right, well, then I'm, I'm going to push back on you, Mr. Linux Action Show. Huh? Uh, Linux would not have many of the uh, very useful apps like Slack yep. if it weren't for or the new Skype apps or, or, Electron, I'll, yeah, or the new Skype, which yeah. I'm using right now. Some people would say that'd be a good thing, I suppose. Uh, I, I don't necessarily. Um, I know, I know. And it's not going away. It's not going to get, it's not going to, it's not like it's, this trend's going to reverse. And it will be continue to be good for Linux. Right, because the reality is, like, I, someone just put in the chat that Hello World and Electron's 50 megs. I don't know if that's correct or not. I'm sure it's an exaggeration, it. but it's it does but, feel let, like let, it. Well, let's say it's 100, right? It doesn't matter. You have 8 to 16 gigs in your computer. The only place where it really matters still is if you're on mobile connectivity. Mobile. Well, so I will give you on mobile, there is a a definite, even still, performance and quality uh, degradation from web-based uh, web apps, right? Pure web apps. Um, like there's this whole movement towards progressive web apps that I, I just don't think is there yet because of performance on mobile, particularly on Android. But hybrid web apps, mm. so we're talking things like React, Ionic here, mm-hmm. they'll get you most of the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you might be giving up some animations and some stuff like that, but the reality is I think most use cases, particularly business use cases, are, are actually best answered by a hybrid solution or, or a straight web solution. But on mobile, probably hybrid. You know, you, you look at uh, – so let's take New Skype as an example. Okay. It is – it's an Electron app and yes. it's using WebRTC. And there's a set of compromises that come with this new Skype that the old native Skype did not have. The two big ones that jump out at me is the audio is significantly worse. And uh, that's, that's just kind of a shame. But the other thing that's really an issue with these types of applications is it can only give you very bare, generic, basic controls over your audio and video input and outputs. You basically can choose to use the system default and that's it. And in the old Skype application, the application allowed you to choose from a multitude of audio devices options that you had, which is really fantastic because you could have maybe a separate microphone that you use for Skype and a separate webcam that you would like to be able to configure independently. And now it's just whatever the default system uses. And it's just sort of it's, – it's just sort of, again, a compromise, a reduction in functionality – a feature that was once had that has now been taken away because the underlying platform is generic. And so underlying platform knows, well, web, webcam sources this, and that's all it exposes to the application above it. And it's, 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 a, it's unfortunate because that particular type of application, that's the kind of functionality that's actually very useful. Compromise. Sounds worse. Loads a little slower. Takes more resources. I can't be as specific about my settings. Those are the bad things. The good things are... Microsoft is focused on a desktop Skype application that has the same priority as all the other desktops and is going to enable more Linux users to have a great Skype experience with Windows users, Mac users, and other Linux users. So the long-term benefits are very good, but there's these, there's these immediate compromises we're taking for a lower-quality application and the thing is, it's replacing an application that had that functionality. It's not quite as egregious when it's the first time you're introducing something like, say, Nalaeus N1, and it's an Electron app. You can be missing some features because you're not replacing an application that had those specific features. In this case, this is a, this is a version of Skype that's replacing the native version, which did have those things. That's, and that's why I'm still unhappy with it. And when I see things like, like Cute Quick, and I see things like... Electron apps too, I suppose. Um, I would rather see us go that way and, and, and get back to using the web browser to browse the web and stop using the web browser as an application platform. Like even right now, I've got three tabs consistently pinned on this computer that are running full-fledged applications. One is Google Docs, one is a Markdown editor, and one is an IRC client that runs in the browser. 
Uh, and, and it's just those are my best options right now because that's where the development resources and energy are going into. So as a user, even though I don't prefer those apps, I end up using them. Makes me want to go live in a cabin up on the mountains, Mike. All right. Well, so you, you slashed my dreams. You slashed my I dreams. Slashed, cut, cut, cut them down like the dogs they were. I was all happy. I was flying high on life. I thought QT Quick WebGL streaming would change all of the things. Actually, that's not true. But I, I am actually pretty excited about it. And I bet there will be some legitimate use cases for it. You know, they give examples, too, of like some simple applications like a time clock application, a clock applica- application. Uh, I could see some legitimate use cases for it, too. And I'll have a link in the show notes if you guys want to learn more about cute, quick WebGL streaming. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover on this week's episode of the show? No, I think we are good. It has been a pleasure as always. Mike, always a pleasure. Always. If people want to get the latest in Jar Jar Binks news, where should they follow you online? That's your new core on Twitter. Every week I do it. Every week I catch you. Every single week. Never Every gets week. old either. All right, follow me. I'm on the Twitters too, at Chris LAS, the network, at Jupiter Signal. You can find out about show, news, releases, our live time. Get that at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We do it on a Monday. Our contact page for your feedback and thoughts, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We like to start the show out with that. And submit topics and another great place for feedback, coderadio.reddit.com. Okay, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Code Radio Program, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>